there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to season two of Living the Sky Life. Today's guest on the podcast is Courtney Bryan. Courtney and I connected actually from an article and one of my blogs that I wrote talking about all of Skylar's gastrointestinal issues, ulcerative colitis, um, and she reached out to me and we have so much in common. I feel like I say that all the time with all the guests and all the people that I meet throughout the autism community, but it's true. <laughs> we all really have a lot of things that we can link to one another. So a little bit about Courtney. She is a proud wife stay-at-home mom, former accountant, and science nerd. After 12 years in corporate accounting and finance, Courtney began her new career as a stay-at-home mom with her four children. Shortly after, her then three-year-old son began to struggle with a multitude of health issues. At the age of five, he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, yet his physical and mental health continued to decline. With the help of her husband, Glenn, Courtney sought out opinions from the country's top geneticists, metabolic specialists, neurologists, and immunologists, who over the past six years have been able to piece together treatments to help her son's health improve. Courtney lives in Lake Elmo, Minnesota, with her husband, Glenn, and four children, Catherine, Sydney, David, and Madeline. Please enjoy my conversation with Courtney Bryan. So on today's episode of Living the Sky Life, I have the pleasure of talking with Courtney Bryan out of Minnesota. Uh, Courtney and I connected online um, shortly after I wrote about Skylar's GI um, incidences that we all uncovered and found out that he had ulcerative colitis. And Courtney and I got into a really great discussion about sometimes the coexisting conditions that go along with autism. And she has a great story to share about her son, David. So welcome to the podcast, Courtney. Oh, thank you, Lori. And good morning. Um, it's just, <laughs> it was so much fun to connect with you over Facebook just a couple of weeks ago after hearing yeah. your son's, your son's story. We have, my husband and I, um, we have four kids. We live in a suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota and our son, David, he just turned 12 and we have been on this autism journey, I would say for close to eight to nine years, um, that we really, he's, his poor little body just really started struggling, um, around the age of three and then escalated from there. Um, so Lori and I just started talking about how autism is a spectrum and how our kids, um, yes, they have autism, but at the end of the day, there were just so many medical issues that were going on and with having these medical issues, it just sets their bodies back and just makes it so difficult for them to learn. So yeah. difficult to, for them to even be able to enjoy life um, at well, all. Yeah. And taking a step back. So what, what were some of the things that David was exhibiting that made you guys even go and get an opinion about his, you know, behaviors or his just what was happening with him to, to get you the ultimate diagnosis of autism to begin with? to begin with well i mean just as a little kid I, I mean as a newborn um i just remember holding him like the day he was born and he just his little body just felt different but i kept thinking i'm just exhausted it's my mm -hmm. it's my third child and um he would always be stiff as a board his little body would shake from time to time and i'd ask the pediatrician and she'd just say oh he's just a fussy baby there's some babies that are fussy well we later learned when he was about eight um and i had some videos of it oh well that was really infantile spasms um, which is frustrating because that is a sign of some type of neurological disorder, mm -hmm. um, you know, that can span a lot of different, uh, neurological disorders, but I, I would say he would have a lot of balance issues. Um, and we would kind of joke, oh, we'd have to get a, we need to get him a hockey helmet. He falls all the time, hits his head into stuff, like just his little legs come out from underneath them. And the doctors would just, you know, the pediatrician, oh, he's just clumsy. He's just clumsy. That's what happens when they're toddler. And then age three, uh, he just completely regressed, um, just completely regressed after a bout of pneumonia. 
Um, and then after that, the aggression just set in. I mean, over the course of 10 days, um, I noticed like a few little sensory issues, but I mean, it was off the chart behavior, screaming, throwing things, you know, attacking, attacking us. I mean, couldn't even sit still for two minutes to play with his toys anymore. I mean, you could never, ever satisfy him. Mm -hmm. Um, but we had also just had our fourth was born. Um, and then I did reach out to an OT that I knew and she said, well, just bring him over to the clinic and we'll do a little assessment. And she's like, well, he's got some weak tone and, you know, just a couple little things, but we can work with them. And, you know, he would act really good in front of other people. And the second we'd get to the door, he would throw himself on the floor and just completely struggle um, with transitions. And then uh, just over the course of the year, I mean, he, could, he couldn't sleep through the night anymore, screaming all the time. And then that's, I would say, before his fifth birthday, I kind of had to argue with the pediatrician. I'm like, something's not right. He can't ride a trike. We are having behaviors. And then finally, I got a referral. I was able to get into um, a neuropsych. Um, but at the same time, they also thought, well, maybe he is having seizures. And so we did a 20, I think it was a 48-hour ad mm -hmm. admission to the hospital. And they saw some things. Um, and I kind of... I kind of pushed back on the doctor. I said, well, that type of what I've read is when they're having those types of issues while they're sleeping, the way that it looks, that is like a seizure activity. And he was older and he's like, no, it's not. Well, now with David's new neurologist, he said, yeah, he said, now what everybody says is that is seizure activity while they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, he was having seizures. Those videos look like infantile spasms. So there was something going on. And at that time though, that neurology group, what, when David was five, they were willing to order uh, a small genetic panel and we got it back and there was one gene on there that said pathogenic variant, but nobody knew what the gene meant. Um, it, it got tested in that panel, but nobody really knew the function of the gene at that time. Um, and the, I don't know, David, I'm just trying to think like the, the neurologist had left, um, David's pediatrician was retiring um, and we were just kind of without a doctor. Um, and really struggling and the neuropsych was like he just has autism we went to all the appointments and she handed us a piece of paper and said you can call the minnesota autism society they might be able to help you and that was it it's just you are on you are on your own um, uh, yeah it's, it's, once you get the spectrum diagnosis and then you know it's pretty much everything is blamed on autism at that point which yep. you know i'm the first to say that that could be the case the behaviors mm -hmm. could definitely be all autism and it's just um, they're frustrated because they can't communicate or they're frustrated because, you know, they're the sensory issues with their clothes and all those things are bothering them. And that's usually autism related. But we both know there are so many other reasons that their behaviors are so bad. They're not bad kids. They're not naughty. There's something that's going on with them that they cannot explain to mm -hmm. us. And so it's our job to fix them and to try to help them and heal them the best that we can. So was David verbal this whole time? Did he regress he, in um, communication skills? He was, he was verbal. Like he met all of his, they weren't the best, but he always met his milestones on time. Like he walked, he was wobbly, but he walked at a year or right before he was a year. I mean, mm -hmm. he was saying little words when he was a year, but the problem was we had after he had that really bad bout of pneumonia um, was his speech would become intermittent. So when I say that, it wasn't that he became mute. It was he would try to speak and he sounded as though he had been drinking alcohol when someone slurs their words or like gotcha. how a Parkinson or dementia patients, once they start losing more and more neurological functioning, mm -hmm. they can't make the proper pronunciation and their words. And that was David. And then he would clench his fists and stomp and just he would be so frustrated because he knew what he wanted to say and things would come out of his mouth and you couldn't even understand him. And it would, it would happen for maybe 30 minutes. Sometimes it happened for 10 minutes. And I tell that, and they just say, oh, that's just autism. I said, it's not autism because yeah. he could always speak. And then it, his speech comes back and they're like, would, oh, he's just wanting to act like a, I mean, they would tell me some of the most ridiculous things. He just wants to act like a baby because he has a baby sister. <laughs> I know. I would I, wonder I was, if he, you know, aside from the seizures too, that he was having, I would, I would be concerned that he might have had a mild stroke. Well, that's um, what we ended up finding out once we went down the path of more and more genetic testing is they have, they're not a stroke. Um, they're a type of migraine and they cause paralysis. Wow. Um, yep. And so it looks like they're having a stroke, 
but they're not but their brain their neurological system is in the midst of like a horrific there's a scientific term it starts with an h i can't remember how to pronounce it but it's a just terrible migraine and the neurons don't fire properly and it looks like a stroke-like episode so you can only imagine i mean for anyone that's had a migraine just a, just a migraine in itself but to be going through all of that as a child and then struggling to be able to communicate to your parents, like what is happening, your head hurts or your stomach hurts or whatever it is. I mean, I wouldn't ask myself why, you know, he's banging and hitting and so aggressive and throwing himself down and all of that stuff. I would ask why not? Why isn't he doing it, you know, a hundred percent of the time during the day? Mm -hmm. He's miserable. Yeah. He's in so much pain. Oh, he would tell us that all the time. I mean, he would bash his head into the walls and into the carpet. I mean, he even told us one time, he says, my head hurts so bad, I want to die. And he, I mean, he had been bashing oh. his head into the carpet. Mm. And um, I mean, we just, we went round and round like that. And then I'm trying to think how old he was when we finally, he must've been about eight. Um, and I, he was just regressing. And mm. at that point, a little bit before that, we even, even the doctors thought maybe he has pans, you mm -hmm. know, um, that pediatric acute neuropsychiatric, you know, syndrome. And um, because he had gotten so sick after that pneumonia and just, we saw a regression. So we were referred, we ended up finding a new uh, primary for him. I had a friend reach out to me and she has two or three kids that have ADHD and autism. And she said, you have to take him to this, you know, this nurse practitioner. She's a doctor of uh, nurse pra practitioner now. Um, teach and teaches here at one of the um, nursing schools and so I took David down there and um, she looked at him had him do a couple things and uh, she said your your child's really sick um, he's really sick she said I had my own son he was about that age a little younger and he got Guillain-Barre um, and she's like he's still affected you know he's now in his 20s he's still affected by it but he can walk now and stuff but she's like you, you need to get to a um, immunologist. And so we got to an immunologist and went and met with him. And he said, well, I don't really treat kids like this, but he's got issues with his walking. Um, he's sick all the time. I mean, he was constantly having ear infections, running temperatures, like he would have fevers. And then times when his eardrum looked like it would, was ready to burst, he wouldn't have a fever. I mean, his immune system was not working right. Yeah. So he ordered a ton of labs for us. Um, and called maybe 10 days later and calls our house. I could barely get it. My husband's like, we've never had a doctor call like that. <laughs> and I could, I could barely get him off the phone. And um, he's like, David has an immune deficiency. He's got a primary immune deficiency. This shouldn't even be a problem to get insurance um, to cover IVIG. And he's like, he absolutely needs it because his body isn't producing enough antibodies, but let's just hope and pray that maybe this will help with his neurological functioning. Um, and we saw some real improvements with his behaviors, um, but IVIG is not an easy treatment. Doctors will tell you, oh, it's just easy. Just drink some Gatorade. It's all fine. Um, but David, we ended up having to um, switch brands of the IVIG. Um, he was on a on one version that's called Gamma Guard, or there's a Gaminex, and they use a stabilizer to keep those antibodies because it takes two to 3,000 um, patients or people donating their plasma to be able to take, to make one round of IVIG. So you need that many people. Um, and to keep those stable, they use different proteins um, as a preservative and they were using glycine. Um, and glycine is a protein that um, actually activates the NMDA receptors. And those are the receptors, if you've read the book, um, Brain on Fire, I think it's Susan Callahan that had autoimmune encephalitis um, that those are the receptors that cause you those behaviors. And after about three rounds, we started seeing just awful behaviors in David and his head was just hurting. And we're like, what in the, what in the world? He was doing so great. And we had to take a pause for a while. And we had another doc, we had David's, um, pediatrician, um, the new one. Uh, I had talked to her and just said, like, he's getting worse, he's getting worse. And she said, I think it's probably time you need like a, another expert. And somehow I ran across an article and it was all about what Duke University was doing um, with trying to treat, being able to treat autoimmune encephalitis. And um, we, the doctor put in, the pediatrician put in a referral and I had a call, I think three days later 
from uh, from their clinic and they said they'd take David's case. And we were there about two weeks later, um, sat, we sat in a room with um, like probably some of like the three or four smartest people I've ever met <laughs> with the neurologist, the <laughs> rheumatologist. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, there are a couple of fellows there from Harvard um, and they went through every medical record of David, sat in a room for like that three or four hours. And then they took a break for an hour and they come back in and tell you, and um, they said, David's already getting IVIG. He has an immune deficiency. Um, we cannot treat him with our protocol um, because the next thing would be um, Cellcept. Um, which is a chemo drug to tamper down those B cells. And they're like, it could be lethal to him. Um, and they're like, we don't really think it's autoimmune encephalitis. Um, but he already had some, you know, minor genetic testing and he came back with one pathogenic variant. They're like, there's something genetic going on. You need to see genetics because what we find on these small panels, um, if something pops up on it, you got a 50% chance of some type of genetic syndrome. That's what we find. So we had to wait, oh my goodness, almost a year. Um, and he was regressing, regressing. I mean, it's really hard. If you wanna go see the, the best geneticist in the country, it's a year's wait. Yeah. Um, and we had already seen two in Minnesota and they're not, we, we didn't have um, a lot of, we didn't have any success with them. And I think they're, they're not in tune of what's going on with kids. I mean, they're looking at kids that have Down syndrome, like the ones that are more the Betty Crocker cookbook type syndromes. Um, so we ended up, uh, I went back and started looking through David's records some more and saw on the one small genetic panel that there was a doctor that signed off on it from the lab and it said the medical director and it said this Richard Bowles. And I went and did a search on him and here he was in private practice and he was out in Pasadena, California. Um, he specialized in mitochondrial disorders. Um, and that's what Duke suggested is that he had some type of mitochondrial disorder. Um, and that was probably the cause of these horrific migraines he was having. They didn't know which one, but you know, definitely he needed genetic testing. And I reached out to Dr. Bowles. I sent, I don't know, an, an email with maybe two or three, uh, two or three paragraphs trying to give him the short version of David's journey. And he mailed back an hour later and he said, I think I can help your son. Um, I'm not gonna take away, I can't take away autism, but he has a lot of physical ailments that are causing him a lot of pain. And normally I can make 80% of my patients feel 80% better. And my husband was, and I'm like, okay, how much is this? And he tells me the price. And my husband said, um, we've paid more than that in deductibles <laughs> in one year. Um, <laughs> yep. get, a, get, get an appointment. So. Yeah. I think we were out there two or three weeks later. Um, we sent him all the records and we sat in a room for five hours. He observed David, went through the records and then said, I think this is what he has, but he needs genetic testing. Um, and then we started from there. We had to actually do two rounds of genetic testing because he said the one lab started having quality issues. So he said there's varying degrees. So when um, the varying degrees of quality across these different genetic labs, um, so we ended up, it took us a good year and a half just because the labs are back really backlogged too um, before he got us the specific genes that he, there's two genes that he thinks are causing David's problems. So uh, that's kind of our journey. And once, once we had that, um, just looking at his physical symptoms, um, he was able to suggest um, some different medications. Um, we knew with the IVIG, with what was going on with those genes, he could not have that brand anymore because it had glycine in it. And we had to switch. I had talked to another mom and she said she, they had never done genetic testing, but she said her son had similar issues. They moved to Octagam. It uses a sugar as a stabilizer. And ever since we switched, like David's cognition has improved. David, David's neuromuscular functioning has greatly improved. Um, so it's just between the IVIG and then um, he's, he was prescribed Namenda and he was on that for probably a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. And then he also takes CoQ10, um, which is a supplement. Um, and we have blood draws done to make sure the level's high enough in his body and vitamin D. I mean, he's, he still has autism. I, it is what it is. I, mm -hmm. I don't have any problem with that. But when he can't function to walk down a flight of stairs, he's screaming in pain for someone to help him. Yep. I, I can't take, oh, it's just autism. Yep. And no, no one, and like, I, I don't have any help. Like we don't, 
there's no one that's going to come and help your kid. I mean, I remember when he was little, I had hired a couple nannies to come help me during the day and they looked terrified. Yeah. Cause he just, he'd scream all day. Yep. I'm like, I don't have any help. Like I have to help this child because he is screaming in pain for someone to help him. I'm not going to take autism as the answer. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I just, I, 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 I can't say a lot more than yes, yes, yes. Because I, I, felt the same way. You know, we don't have any help either. We don't have family here and I, I never have respite and we just don't have anyone that's willing to help us. And I just, I, I know, I believe so strongly in a mother's intuition and some fathers have it too. Yep. <laughs> I'll give them credit, but uh, we just know that there's something beyond just autism. While it's great on the one hand, you know, to get the autism diagnosis so that you can get services and that, you know, you can go that route and do some of the therapies and some of the treatments for specific autism characteristics. There are so often coexisting conditions because, you know, the bulk of um, autism, besides being neurological, is autoimmune. So there are so many parents that I have talked to in our own lives and with Skylar that have their children have GI disorders, they have seizure disorders, they have. Um, just all kinds of autoimmune conditions that have to be treated totally separately. So one thing that we always struggle with is, do we get our psychiatrist to prescribe behavior meds and anxiety meds um, for Skylar for his behaviors? Or do we focus solely on his GI and treating that because that's what's causing the behaviors because of the pain that he's in? And I imagine it's similar for you. It's like, do you give him migraine medications? Do you give him anxiety medications, behavioral medications? And ultimately, I don't want Skylar on 10 pills a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want him to be off of everything, but I, I just don't know whether you put the chicken or the egg first. I don't know what to treat the behaviors or to treat the underlying conditions that I think are causing the behaviors. I don't know. So did the geneticists have some you know, general advice for that. I mean, you said that once you guys met with Dr. Bowles, he gave you some medications and some treatments, and those are helping all of those underlying painful conditions that David had. They are. So, I mean, just yeah. having Dr. David in the same room with Dr. Bowles and seeing how he'd interact with us and mm -hmm. how we didn't react to anything. He said, he just laughed because we were told by our local children's hospital, it's your parenting. And I said, <laughs> that's such an really? insult. Because I know. I'm, I said, if it was my parenting, why would I come to a geneticist? And I have three other children that can sit in a chair and follow directions mm -hmm. and keep their shoes on and not ram their head into the wall. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, I don't, I, I told the, the woman, I, the physician, I said, I don't buy that. I'm not taking that as an answer. And Dr. Bowles is just like, yep, he has a lot of anxiety and it's probably caused by one of these, one of these few genes. Um, Cause he's just basically what David has, he has CACNA 1A, it's a calcium channelopathy. So he more than likely what they're suspecting is that the voltage gate for that calcium channel is staying open too long. It either isn't closing at all um, or it doesn't close all the way and the calcium comes into the cell and just floods it and burns out the mitochondria. And then when that happens, the neurons can't fire properly, just causes a lot of dysregulation. And and with that, um, you always feel like you're in the flight or fight mode. Um, so you, that adrenaline um, is just going all the time. Um, you get the neuromuscular issues, you get the headaches, um, you can get the slurred speech. So, I mean, it's a lot of like the neuropsychiatric, I mean, it's a huge, so many of the things overlap. And you probably know this, um, like when someone wants to be a neurologist and they're going to medical school, they actually have to go do like a longer, um, I, I believe they're board certified in psychiatry too, because mm -hmm. um, they, they overlap. Um, a lot of the, the manifestations overlap between neurology and psychiatry. Um, so right away, he just said, I think more than likely he's got a glutamate issue. And that's, you know, those, those gates are those NMDA receptors are what open and close the calcium channels, those voltage gates that, that plays part of it. Um, and he said, they're getting too overexcited. And I really think either amantadine um, or namenda. Um, he's mm -hmm. like, I, I would start with amantadine. It's um, not as strong and see what type of response he has. And we started that just a few weeks later. And 
he, um, over the course of five days, it was just uh, so much calmer. Cause we had already, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of medication because it's like, I, I felt in David's situation, you're just masking, you're just masking yeah. the symptoms. And we mm-hmm. tried, he tried Ritalin, uh, we tried Zoloft, we tried none of it. I mean, I, I think Kate has said this before, um, you know, with her child is that they had tried Ritalin or something, one of, one of the stimulants, he was climbing the wall. And I told her, I said, that was our experience, David, yeah. could not, could not tolerate it. So I'm, I'm like, the stimulants do not work for him. There's, you know, I think in I some kids, it. they work, they work terrific and the families see huge improvements in their kids. And I'm like, that's amazing. But for David, I mean, he was climbing the walls. I mean, he was on the tiniest dose for two days and we're like, we, he can never have that again. It was awful. It it was awful. We were all going to lose our mind. That was a vilify for us too. Whoa, man, that was terrible. Yep. So, and there's just not a lot of, you know, Namenda is only FDA approved for, I believe it's, is it dementia patients? They use a little bit. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Skylar's been on it about two years now or so. There are clinical studies going on, um, with Namenda and an autistic, autistic population. Um, mm-hmm. but we just can't tell if it's, I mean, that's probably one of the ones we'll wean off. It's just, we're trying to taper as med list down. I'm sure it's helped his cognition. It's just so hard to quantify that. You just really can't see, especially when someone is nonverbal. Um, right. we're just not sure, but it may be helping him tremendously. I don't know. Yep. It, it's so hard to tell. Um, so that, that was huge. Another med that, um, he suggested, and David was on it for a year. And I think it helped quite a bit with his anxiety, but then he told us he didn't want to take it. He thought it was making, it is helpful that David is verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to share, he goes, I think it makes my feet feel weird. And that is a, an issue with it, that it causes neuropathy. Um, uh-huh. It can, but the propranolol, what it does is it tampers down on um, the adrenaline from being released. And then once the adrenaline's released, you know, this is a metabolic process, then the calcium, the body wants to release the calcium. So Dr. Bowles is like, we want to get ahead of that. We don't want his cells getting any more calcium because those gates aren't working correctly. So um, the propranolol, you could see a big difference in him. I in him, he doesn't want to take it right now, which I respect. Um, but I told him, I said, I think social situations are getting more difficult for you. You know, you're getting older. Um, I think maybe you should take it again. He's like, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> So we're going to, you know, try to talk to him, but he's, you know, he's 12 and right. I mean, I do believe him when he says, you know, it makes me feel weird. He describes his feet. So his feet feeling different, but those meds, I mean, they just, those two meds together for David were just huge, um, in, in helping his body just not be under constant stress and flight and fight all the time. I can imagine for you guys, once you saw the shift in him, and probably he lit up too, like, oh my gosh, my head isn't throbbing anymore. Like, you know, you guys were just so grateful for Dr. Bowles and that you listened to your intuition and that you, you know, moved forward. Didn't you tell me earlier that there are 20,000 different gene strains, strings that they have to look, look at? There, there are. So Dr. Bowles, when um, we had to sign a release with the uh, genetic, um, the genetics lab with Gene DX and they released all the raw data. And he said, it kind of depends on the person, but it's about 20,000 genes that you have. Um, and he goes, he has a special software program and he goes line by line. Oh. And I mean, it's insane. I think he said it takes him about 17 hours to go through this. So the computer's doing a lot of the software is doing a lot of things on the back end, but then the ones that really pop out, then he starts researching in those different genetics databases. Um, to see what type of symptoms other, you know, have been reported and how that fits with David's like clinical diagnosis and his clinical symptoms. Um, he puts a lot of time into it. And, um, I, I think the two that he's found for David are just, they're just right on all the symptoms line up and, and the, me- in the, in the different medicines that he suggested that show that it helps lessen the symptoms have, have worked well for David. What is the follow-up with him? Like, I mean, will he follow David and, um, you know, kind of stay in his uh, village of, of support system for his life? Or um, does he require like a follow-up test, you know, in a few years, just to kind of see if those medications are making a permanent change to some of the deficiencies in his genetics or? 
Yep. Like so, that. We, so we've been following, we've been with him now. David has been for gosh, almost four, I think almost four years now. So now we just check in the beginning. We were checking in like two to three times a year. There was just so much going on with David. Mm-hmm. Now we're just checking, we're just checking in with him once a year. Um, we'll have labs run. He looks them over, um, you know, talks about, I still, you know, he'll tell us because the last appointment it was, you know, he was telling David, I really think you should be on this medication. I think it could help you more, you know, help you more. So he, he follows up with that. David had, oh gosh, that was like a year, year and a half ago. He had one of those um, episodic paralysis um, episodes where he, what happens is he ends up like, he can't even walk. Um, Mm. He'll say I'm in pain. And he can't, like his body almost like freezes up. He can't move. Um, so I've called Dr. Bowles and he'll talk to the local doctors here and give guidance and suggestions. So it's just, um, it's really helpful having him on the team. I feel like it's, we're needing him less and less as David has improved, but he sees, I think he can see, he's a pediatrician. So he can see kids up until they're 25. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering like with puberty coming up for David, um, if that will impact some of the things, um, well, and medications the, or whatever, I would imagine. And that that would. I, yeah. And he's in the midst of it right now. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why some of the medication he's saying, I don't want to take. Um, and I was always very scared of puberty because people said like, with autism, <laughs> well, and I mean, it's, it's hit or miss. It, it's hit or miss. <laughs> like it can make things so much worse for the child. Yeah. Um, or things like slowly start to get better, um, in certain kids. And I feel like with David, things have gotten a little better. Um, he can transition better. Um, I mean, it used to just be pure chaos every morning just to get him out the door. I mean, you can have everything set out the night before everything talked about play, you know, planned with him and it would still just turn into a disaster with his, you know, his poor anxiety. Um, and now it's just, he gets up, he shout, you know, we wake him up, he goes and showers, he comes down, eats some cereal, brushes his teeth and we're out the door. And mm-hmm. he's very polite most mornings, unless his sisters have, you know, been bothering. I'm like, girls, you need to back off. You know, they're like, well, it's and no, you are not being helpful. Like you are just purposely annoying. It's just siblings, you know, it's yep. now, now we're seeing more of that sibling interaction with them. It's um, funny you mentioned that I was gonna, that was my next question. Actually, I was going to ask you um, what the transition has looked like for David and his sisters. I know he's sandwiched between three girls. You've got 17, 13, and then a nine-year-old that's younger than him. So that's all that they've known of their brother is, you know, the outbursts, the anger, the, all of that stuff. And so they, they've gotten to witness him transitioning into feeling better and being happier. Um, so what has that been like the bad and the, the recent good? You know? well, I, I would say for our oldest, she, I mean, she was an only child for almost five years before Sydney mm-hmm. was born. So you know, she remembers everything being calm and even, you know, things were so much fun with when Sydney was little and everything. And then her talk, she'll talk about like, it was really hard watching David regress um, and nobody knowing what was wrong with him. But then, um, you know, and there were a lot of really, really hard years, but now she says, she's like, it's not perfect. You know, obviously he has autism and it's hard to watch some of his struggles, but she's like, it is so much better. Like, she's like, I can actually have friends stop by. I mean, before you wouldn't want to have anyone stop. People don't understand. Um, They (laughs) just don't, they don't, I'm not being mean, but they don't understand. And so she's like, that was really hard. Um, And then the two younger girls, I mean, Sydney, I think it's just always she's known David um, to have to have struggles and health issues, but you know she would get very fr- she would get very frustrated with the situation. Um, but now she'll even say she's like the same as Katie. It's not perfect, but it's so much better than it was. And then Madeline, mm-hmm. um, Madeline, she's just always rooting for David. Those two go to the same school. This is the last Aww. year that they'll be in elementary school, but she always like tries to give me updates, like mom. He has friends there. He says he has no friends, but he's got this pack of all these kids follow him. I think there's this girl that likes him. You know, it's just kind of funny. And then David's like, would you just be quiet? And he, he's very, he, he basically, my husband and I laugh, like he is a little, a little young man 
Um, but he's got a 70, 80 year old um, man trapped in his body. Um, if you've ever watched Grumpy Old Men, yes. he, could been, he could have been the star of that show. The Some of the phrases <laughs> that come out of his mouth and how he reacts to stuff were like, oh my goodness, David, you are like Grumpy Old Men. It's, it's kind of- Kids, it's kinda, get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> that would be David. Yeah. It's so so funny how, you know, we're blessed with the children that we are and that they just complete a family. You know, I was telling my daughter, my neurotypical daughter, I hate describing her that way, but (laughs) for people that don't know my family, I feel like I have to, but, um, I was just telling her the other day that, you know, we, we were talking about kids and multiple kids and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I was nervous after your brother to have another child. Um, but I, you know, God's plan for me was to have another child. And I'm so glad that I did because she completes our family in a, in a way I couldn't even have dreamt of and imagined. She's such a support system, older, you know, wiser beyond her years for us. And she's supportive of her brother, but she's a typical kid too. And he's, he's annoying to her. And I just don't know that our family would have been as great as it is if we had just had Skylar. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a balance to that with another child. I don't know. It just yeah. sounds like all of your kids' personalities, they mesh really well. And you've always got the one that kind of heckles the, <laughs> like yeah. Madeline heckles her brother and like, you know, oh, whatever. She, she does. <laughs> I mean, the, the stories, she was asking him one the one day, what's two plus two, David? My husband was telling me this story and he says four and she says, no, it's not. It's 22. And then she asked him again right away, what's two plus two? And he says 22. And she says, no, it's four just like trying to mess with him. And he's like, I'm so tired. You know, just those two just razz each other all day long. And I'm like, Madeline. And then you wonder why he starts yelling at you. I mean, you purposely mm-hmm. go up and just, but I think it's good for him to have some of that silliness and yeah. people kind of jabbing at him a little bit. Um, but it's fun now that things, his little brain isn't on fire like it was and he can interact um, better and his siblings can have I mean it's not a typical you know sibling relationship but um, they can enjoy each other more and I would just say like the the girls are some of David's biggest supporters I mean just as, as frustrated as they've and rightfully so I mean mm-hmm. it's not a typical childhood of what they've had I mean they are his biggest supporters even through all of that well that's good I mean that's just a testament to your parenting too I mean they wouldn't be that way if you guys weren't so involved and I, I can only imagine that you can at least rest a little easier at night knowing that you guys were all in on this at a young age for him and did not take no for an answer when doctors were like it's just autism just you know get him some therapy or whatever that you kept pushing because he's only 12 I mean he has such a long life to live now and <clears throat> you got hopefully can it can be pain-free or somewhat mm-hmm. pain-free yeah I mean, it's just, yeah, his, his demeanor is so much better not having to deal with that terrible head pain all the time. Like Mm -hmm. it was, uh, I mean, it's just a huge blessing. And just this last weekend, I mean, this was something that would have never happened four or five years ago. He has been begging to play football and I'm just like, Oh, with your little head, I can't, yeah. let you play. <laughs> I can't let I you play. I don't know about that. I don't, yeah, know I, I, don't do I don't think, and that's a lot of like things to interpret um, you know, with all those players out the, out in the field. Um, and he has a visual and auditory processing disorder, um, you know, that just goes along with like the brain that, um, you know, just having some things not working all the best all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I said, well, let's just try out something simple. And I found him a, uh, flight football league. So my husband, they had a clinic because they said, there's a lot of kids that have never played and we want to show the routes and, so my husband was able to take that on sun, take him to that on Sunday. And it was, um, I mean, that was like a miracle watching that because he, he couldn't ever participate in anything. It was, yeah. I mean, he would fall over. Um, he hurt so bad before he ever even started playing anything. He couldn't follow, you know, I mean, it's a lot of, uh, directions to take in, to be able to play a game or anything. And it was, I mean, it wasn't a full on game, but he could catch the ball and, um, just, you know, do a lot of, it almost looked like he could enjoy his childhood. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, like I said in the past, we don't know. He has a genetic disorder. We don't know how long he's kind of in a little sweet spot right now. We don't know if this will last for the rest of his life, but just grateful that he's not in pain right now and he's able to go to school. That's the other thing. Like he wasn't able to go to school for a really long time. 
Um, part of it was anxiety and the other part was, I mean, he felt absolutely miserable. Yeah. Um, he would even go like part days when he, I believe he was still second grade and he would go to school at, started at 8.30 and I would pick him up at noon or a little bit before 12. And I would pick him up and his elementary school at the time was maybe three miles from our house and we wouldn't even be home yet. And he would be asleep in the back seat and I would carry him into the house and he would sleep the entire afternoon. Oh, I mean, that's he wasn't I, sleeping at night. Yeah. He wasn't sleeping well at night. Um, and I just said, that's not that. And that's what I kept pushing back on the doctors. I'm like, this is not normal. I have never seen a second grader that cannot make it through a day of school. And you're just telling me it's autism because I see a lot of other kids at that school that have autism and they're not going home that just have autism and they're not going home at noon and sleeping the whole day. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. No. I just, I, I always go back to what a lot of our therapists and our most recent spelling to communicate therapists was just explaining just with all the patients or clients that she has um, that, that are nonverbal, but they all type and spell and stuff. And they all, simultaneously will say as soon as they can spell and um explain how they're feeling they always lean to the fact that they they can't control their body and she's like you know i know it's frustrating when skylar's sitting next to me and we're spelling and he'll get through a couple letters of the word and then he stands up and he's smacking his leg or he's pulling my hair or he's hitting and i'm like why is he so me you know like why does he <laughs> is so aggressive with me and himself and all of that stuff and she said that most of these clients will say they didn't mean to do any of that. They didn't, they didn't want to keep standing up, sitting down and hitting and pulling hair and smacking the table and it, their body just takes over and they have no control over it. And so I, mm -hmm. I'm still, whether it's Skylar's GI or maybe something more genetically involved, I still am trying to uncover the root cause of why his body is out of his control. If it's internal tics, if it's some muscle spasms, just anything to help him because I can't imagine living like that. It's, it's tough. I mean, even David, when he was younger, I mean, he would just say to us like, why does my head have to hurt like this? Or he would have a meltdown and then he would be so remorseful, you know, an hour later after things were calm and he's, he'd cry, you know, why do I act like this? Why do yeah. I do this? And his, I, I agree with you. Like their little brains just get out of, out of whack and take over and they can't even control any, I mean, it's almost like a seizure. Um, mm -hmm. like they have absolutely no control over it. Um, and, and the doctors that just say, oh, it's behavioral, it's behavioral. And I remember taking him to this OT and she's practices over in Wisconsin. And she is, this woman is absolutely amazing. Um, the stuff that she does and how she's helped kids over the years. And I remember her telling me, she's like, Courtney, he has autism, but it's not like normal autism because those kids, when they come to OT and PT every week, they make slow, gradual process. Same with the kids that have, um, that have um, Down syndrome. And she's like drawing out this nice little curve, you know, upward curve. And she said, here's David. He will be one day in the 75th percentile for a skill. And the next time you bring him in next week, he is in the 15th. Yeah. Can't, can't even do the skills. She's like, there is something happening in his brain. And she's like, OT and PT is not going to fix it right now. Yep. She's like, I don't know if it's seizures. You know, I don't know if it's, she's like, I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor, but she's like, I've been doing this long enough that that is what he has is not autism. It's not typical autism. Right. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I totally respect, I'm like, I, I totally respect that. I mean, she's like a, she's a friend and um, we've known her now for, I mean, close to 10 years. And I mean, just super, super helpful um, just explaining things. And she's like, you have to keep pushing the doctors. Um, yes. So. You know, although all of our kids are, you know, classified as autistic, the spectrum is large for a reason. I mean, every single child with autism is unique. There's so much about them that is unique to just them. And I, I feel the same way as you saying that, you know, one day they're at this level of skill and the next day they can't even begin to start the task that they mastered the week before. I mean, it's been 18 years with Skylar like that. And it's so frustrating that you know, he's been to ABA for most of his life. He's and you know, different types of ABA mm -hmm. therapies and 
all the OTPT speech, all the things. And, you know, one center or one year, he'll master all these skills. And then we do it at home and he can't do any of it. And I'm just so frustrated. Are you just saying he's mastering it because you want to move on and do other things and make us feel good because mm-hmm. he's probably, probably mastered a skill, but he really hasn't. I'm like, don't lie to me. If he can't hold a fork independently, let me know. And then, you know, we'll keep working on it or whatever. Right. So that's why I just feel like there's more to Skylar than just autism. That's a bulk of it, but it's like an umbrella over mm-hmm. other things. And so his stomach is one. And I'm sure that there are other things that are getting in the way of him, you know, connecting the dots between a task and his body being able to do the task. I know he wants to, I know he's really smart. I know all of those things just from observing him, but there is some disconnect somewhere that he is unable to see it through all the way. You know, he knows what he wants to do. He knows how to do it, but he can't make his body do it. Right. And it's got to be so, it's got to be so frustrating um, for those kids Mm because David, I mean, he would be so frustrated. He would write, he could write his name very nice, write a cute, you know, little letter that you'd, you'd expect there's, you know, it might not be right at grade level, but kind of close. And then the next, you know, two or three days later, he couldn't even write his name. I mean, it Mm -hmm. didn't even, he could maybe do one letter. It didn't even look like the letter D. And after that, he couldn't even write anymore. Couldn't even really hold the pencil. And that's where I'm like, this is not autism. Autism is like little quirky behaviors, repetitive behavior. I'm like, I really feel the medical community is doing a disservice to a lot of families and a lot of kids by giving that. I I understand how it gets you services at school. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are kids that unfortunately there is something far more going on than just autism. Um, yeah. and their, their bodies are under attack for whatever reason, whether it's, gen- you know, it's all caused by a genetic issue. I don't know. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's mm-hmm. body's different. Um, but it's just, a lot of kids are suffering with pain and other medical issues and, and the doctors just kind of throw their hands up and just tell the parents it's autism. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough. It was hard for me to take. I, I don't have a problem with autism. Like I I mean, that, yeah, that that isn't the problem. It's my kid is in pain, help my child. So, and by no means are you saying, or if if I'm taken out of context either, that we're curing autism, that has nothing to do with it. It's not that at all. It's, we're not saying that our kids are diagnosed with autism and then we don't really think it's autism. We think it's something else. And then we're fixing that. And then now they're fine. It's not mm-hmm. that at all. They are autistic. They will have autism their entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but each person's autism level, as we said, is a spectrum. And so some of it may be autism related and then other medical conditions are causing some of the other stuff. Some people may have hundred percent autism and then, you know, nothing underlying. It's just mm-hmm. up to each parent to observe their child and figure out if you think that it's if they're doing great in their therapies and making tons of progress, then fantastic. But I, I can't sit by and let Skylar bang on walls and bang on himself and injure himself and be miserable without looking at something else. If, you know, I right. don't expect ABA to fix him or to no. make him all of a sudden speak or make him, you know, write his name or any of those things. I'm not asking for anyone to cure my child or <laughs> yeah, it's just, do all it's the just, hard work. Right. It's just, it's hard to watch them suffer yeah. in pain. And like I said, David was verbal. David would tell us like my head hurts so bad. I know there's mm-hmm. other kids that deal with that just horrific migraine or stomach pain and they're, they're nonverbal, but they're able to communicate and type to their parents. Um, I know a couple kids and they're like, my head hurts and their parents just say for them to be able to type and, uh, or communicate that their head hurts is just, you know, amazing. Or they can say my ear hurts. And they're like, now I can actually call the doctor and say, we need to come in and they take their kid. And it's like, oh, they have an ear infection. But they're like, before that, you know, when they couldn't, they didn't have a means to communicate with us. We're just completely in the dark of how to help them. Right. Um, so well, you know, I, I know a lot of your life is, (laughs) is focused on making sure that all of your kids are happy and healthy and all of that. Um, you know, what, what does David really enjoy doing? I know you said he likes, you know, being outside and in football, but are there times where you're able to be with each of your kids one-on-one and, um, you know, spending time doing things with them that they enjoy? 
we do, I feel like with David being sick for so long, they didn't get to be in activities for quite some time just because we didn't have a lot of help. Um, but our oldest and our youngest, they love to dance. Um, and so our oldest, she's a senior in high school this year, and she is doing, she's performing a solo dance in the recital in May. And then our youngest, she is like in a little rec class. So it was, it was fun on Saturday. They had their photos, their dance photos, and the two yep. of them to be able to have their picture together. And then our daughter, Sydney, she loves um, gymnastics. Um, she took a break a little bit this year just because of COVID and things were so up in the air, but she's going to start this summer. Um, she loves to swim. She loves to spend time with her grandparents. And then her oh, other, that's sweet. yeah, her other latest obsession. Um, I kind of started on it and now she's taken it to a whole new level is genealogy. <laughs> so she is on that ancestry. Well, we found, we found out, um, it's kind of a crazy story, but my grandpa would always say my, my family came over on the Mayflower and my dad would say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't tell anyone that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and so my dad's passed away. My grandpa had passed away a long time ago too. And so I don't know Sydney, Sydney kept asking about all this genealogy stuff. I said, well, let's just go on that ancestry.com. Well, someone like a distant cousin had done a lot of research and my grandpa's family really did come over on the Mayflower. <laughs> So I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm like, he was right. I feel really bad that all of us just thought he was making it up. He was really, <laughs> so Sydney's, Sydney's been having a ton of fun with that and like finding out who all these long distance, you know, these relatives are and she's, That's she's cool. been enjoying, yeah, she's been enjoying it. It's something fun you can do during the pandemic when there hasn't yeah. been a lot of other things to do. So we just, we, all of us just kind of laugh. She'll come running down and, hey, we're related to so-and-so and. -so and <laughs> Like, okay, Sydney, <laughs> she keeps going up, just plugging along on the ancestry.com. So it's that, that we've enjoyed doing that over the last year. So well, that's neat. Yeah. Well, do you get time alone at all? <laughs> well, Four kids? Right now, I, you know, last year before the pandemic, I did, um, I would go to a Bible study on Wednesday with a group of moms, um, and friends. And that was, I mean, a lot, I, it was it was fun to get out of the house and just be able to talk to other people and be a part of that. And now this year with um, two of our kids are back in school, Sydney's online. And then my oldest is a senior and she's been doing like post-secondary um, college classes, but then going to the high school. And I just feel like, I don't know, like, I don't know where the days go by, like between like <laughs> driving the two little kids, the two younger kids to school, like making lunches for people, helping my oldest with, you know, she was applying for college, colleges and stuff this fall. It's just, I don't really feel like I have any alone time. I'm hoping yeah. maybe this fall when everyone's back in school, I can, I'll have a little more free time yeah. or alone time. So, um, yeah, it, it's been an interesting year, but we've all, we've all stayed healthy. So that's, that's been a plus. And yeah, I, I don't know. And the, the other thing is I don't have a lot of free time because David still has a few issues with his ataxia. And so I'll get random phone calls like, oh, David fell at school. Do you want to come and check on him or come and get him? So yeah. my husband and I joke, he's like, you really couldn't have a full-time job because you're yeah. always getting well, phone you're calls kind of for the call. kids. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> so. always on call. And, but it, you know, it is what it is. I'm grateful that I can be there for the kids, especially this last year um, with everything going on and mm -hmm. all the, all the home, you know, the online school stuff. It's been interesting. <laughs> so yeah, we've all kind of had to reevaluate and regroup with <laughs> that's just the, what's important and, you know, quality yeah. time and all of that. So yeah, yes. I hear you. Well, um, I know we've given kind of a lot of advice or, or commentary in between. Um, but do you have any words of wisdom, you know, for parents, maybe, you know, just kind of like we talked about trusting your gut and seeing things that you just know are not explained away by autism. Um, you know, it's anything at all that you could suggest to parents. I would, the one thing is just trust your gut. Um, I'm a, I have a like very strong faith. So I prayed a lot. I asked mm -hmm. other people to pray and I realized like in the beginning this, you have to remember that this is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's a very, yes. very long marathon. And I think a lot of parents, I got that advice, like, oh, if they're not, and David was always verbal His, you know, he always could communicate um, for the most part. And you would always hear they, if they can't talk by five, if they can't do this by six, you know, you're just out of luck and don't, every person's journey is different. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that advice. Um, and I am a firm believer 
um, in genetic testing. Uh, I, I had a friend that really, she had a daughter who was born and she immediately after she was born within an hour or two, she was having seizures. Mm. And she just said, she has the same philosophy. Yep. There's this, there's autism, but she's like, not every child you're going to get a genetic diagnosis for, but when you have that many medical issues going on, whether it's seizures, you have vision problems, you know, just, you know, things like that neuromuscular issues and um, the kids are needing to be braced or need orthotics. She's like, you have got a genetic issue going on. And she's like, you have to keep pushing for genetic testing. I mean, she was just a huge, she really pushed me. And so I'm like super thankful for Christy for doing that because if I, I don't know if it wasn't for her. I don't know if I would have gone down that road and pushed as hard. Um, but she was a really great person to talk to and um, just be able to hear what her experience was with with the genetic testing and mm -hmm. she said then once she said once if you're lucky enough if you're one of the families that are lucky enough to get an answer she said she said for her and I felt the same way is I kind of had a I had more of a piece about things um, I wasn't looking for like this next you know some therapy you know there's always in the autism community oh have you tried this medication have you done this and I don't I don't feel like I need to really try anything more with him like we know what it is. Here's three or four things that help ease the symptoms to take stress off of his body. Um, and if he has, you know, one of these episodes, we know what's causing it and he can maybe get an infusion um, of potassium or something like that to help his muscles. And it's just, it's not fun. Um, I wouldn't, you know, it, it's not an easy journey, but it, it is what it is. And I'm not, staying up till two o'clock in the morning, Googling anymore. Like, yeah. how do I, how do I help my child? How do I help my child? And I just wish with Dr. Bowles has explained this genetic testing is getting too cheap for, yeah. for people not to be able to have access to it. We heard it at Duke. We've been to Duke two times for David to be seen by the genetics team there. Um, Dr. Shashi, probably one of like the top geneticists in the country. Um, and just like a neuro-ophthalmologist there, we've seen neurology there, rheumatology, and they said genetics, it is too cheap for a physician to even say anymore, well, I don't know, it's too expensive. Because even if, if you have commercial insurance, even if they will deny it, if they end up denying it, these genetic labs are willing to uh, pick up the cost. They have patient assistance programs. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, I'm a huge proponent of of going the genetics route when you have a lot of medical issues going on with autism or you yeah. wa you're watching your child regress and regress like they might have had some speech they're losing words they're falling um but everybody's everybody's journey is different but the biggest thing is this is as hard as it is um on the family and trying to help your kids and yourself is just you have to get in that mindset that this is a marathon this is not a sprint um because your family needs you and if you burn out early yeah. on, it's just, you have more repercussions and that's, I guess, easier for me to say now <laughs> with right. hind well, hindsight's, hindsight's 2020, <laughs> but, um, yeah, just the, I, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. I mean, I just look at it like any other condition. If your child had leukemia or, you know, another form of cancer or something significant like that as well, you would never give up. You would research doctors, you would research treatments, you would research everything. And autism is, is no different in my opinion. I, I, I don't just get the diagnosis of autism for my child and then go, okay, all right, well, I guess we'll, you know, try these therapies or whatever. I mean, they don't know so much about autism still that they don't know all the underlying conditions that come along with it and, and how our children are getting it and all of that argument. So, um, you know, I just don't think there's ever a time to rest when your kids are concerned. Right. I, that's I just agree. me. Maybe um, I'm crazy. Just, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm a little bit crazy, but I guess a good crazy, but just when you can get the right team, the immunologist, yeah. he was a huge help. He was yeah. a huge help when he explained that to us because I was just getting so frustrated and he's like, Courtney, we are handed and he, and he was making a joke out of it, but he said, I'm serious. You're handed the Betty Crocker cookbook of medicine. And that is all you can adhere to. Yeah. There is not enough time. And he's like, that's, if you're in a large, you know, practice or, you know, medical group, that's all they want. They don't want you going above and beyond that because of liability. Um, yep. so he was, you know, super helpful and he was always very encouraging. I 
He said, if you have the means, go and see those other doctors. You have the means, go to Duke, like take your child there and exactly. see what see what insight. And that was the other thing. Um, if you have a child that has autism, that has medical uh, complex needs is, I know insurance companies get a really bad rap, um, but I live here in a suburb of St. Paul, Minneapolis, and we are the world headquarters for Optum Health and for United Healthcare. And they are Fortune 5 companies, um, largest healthcare um, insurer in the world. And we have had, I know other people don't, but we have had the best luck uh, with my son's insurance with them that we buy for him mm -hmm. um, directly from them. We were able to get a nurse navigator. Um, she was able to help lead the way of how we get these doctors um, covered at in-network rates that do not take insurance. You know, they're MDs. Um, these are not naturopaths or anything like that. We've been taking the kids or we've been taking David to um, Dr. Bowles. They were able to get most of that covered for us. Uh, we lucked out finding out that they have a travel network um, with that insurance plan. And even if you don't have a travel network, trying working with them to get those um, out of network exceptions, those pre-authorizations, but the travel network was huge. We were able to take David to Duke. Um, one thing we realized when you get to a large research institution like that, we would get run, when we were here in the Twin Cities, we get the run in. Well, we don't think insurance will pay for that. When we were at Duke, Duke gets on the phone with the insurance company. They are back in the room in five minutes and said, it's all been authorized. We will do this test. This, I mean, it was yeah. when a big research institution calls the insurance company and a doctor there says, this child, I need to order this. Will you approve it? They don't say no. Right. Um, you have the right doctors on your team. And so I can't speak enough um, of how grateful and thankful we are um, for David's insurance company. Yeah. It's all a matter of pushing and pushing and pushing. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so, I'm so happy for you guys and for David and that he's feeling so much better. And I'm sure your family life is so much better now that he's not in so much pain. So I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, you know, I, you're just, you're a great testament to moms who just keep, keep pushing and never taking no for an answer. And I, I respect that so much. Oh, well, thank you. It was so great talking with you today. And I'm, I'm thankful for you sharing your story about your son and just because some parents, they just, they don't have, um, they might not have a background in, you know, in medicine or working with doctors and it can be intimidating going to those appointments. And they just say, you know, this is what your child has. And they send you with a piece of paper and out the door you go and they, they don't provide you with any resources. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, it is a very, that's the journey that can be very hard. Um, so I, I think it's just wonderful how you've shared your son's journey and what you've been able to do, do for him and uh, just sharing that with other families so that they can have that information and be able to help their own children. Well, thanks. And I learn from my guests all the time and you better believe I'm gonna be looking into redoing his genetic panels that, that we did when he was two, cause I'm sure a lot's changed since oh, then. It's Oh, so, it has changed. I'm excited so, actually to do it. So just so much. Um, I mean, even Dr. Bowl said in the last two to three years, I, the the information that they have now compared to just a few years ago, he said it's just unreal how much more knowledge they have, um, and how they analyze the data. Just the information as more and more people um, are sequenced, the databases grow. They have more cases to look at and find find these disorders. And I, I just remember like watching a video. Um, I'll have to send it to you, but it was from Dr. Dr. Shashi Duke. They had um, a they had a panel of physicians talk, and she said, and she runs the Undiagnosed Disease Network because we were David was actually referred to the Undiagnosed Disease Network. We ended up not going that route, but she shared there was a little girl that came in and every week she was declining neurologically, like couldn't swallow her food, couldn't swallow, you know, couldn't sit up anymore, couldn't walk. And through genetic testing, they found out that this little girl could not metabolize a vitamin in her body correctly. And that was causing all of these neuromuscular issues. I mean, they, they thought this little girl was gonna die. I mean, she couldn't swallow her food. She couldn't eat anything. They were like her respirate. I mean, it was just awful. And so through their genetic testing um, and all the computers and the computer scientists that they have at Duke and the undiagnosed, undiagnosed disease network, they were able to find the gene that was causing this. And they knew right away that she needed like a, 
just a super high dose of this specific vitamin every week. And with over the course of a year, she had regained probably 90% of her skills. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, so it's just, it's unreal what they can find now with genetic testing. And like I said, not everyone is going to get a happy ending like that. Not everyone is, but to be able to have that knowledge and then know that this is what's causing my child's issues. Um, I, I just think it's just, it's power for the family mm-hmm. it can give it can give families peace. I think it can end up lowering healthcare costs because you're not just throwing darts at different things. It's like, yeah. okay, here's what it is. Like, here's, you know, certain medicines we know that could try to try to treat this. And once you know that, I mean, there are so many scientists around the world that are working on these different genes and it gives power to those physicians to be able to network and reach out to these other researchers and scientists um, to be able to see what they're finding um, and be able to get ideas to be able to treat their patients. So I, I, I'm a science nerd. I love it. (laughs) Maybe it's a good thing. (laughs) <laughs> that you yes. uh, that you are they understand all this stuff i truly believe in divine intervention and i i know that people come into your life for reasons and i i again i'm just so grateful that we connected and um i'm i'm empowered and i'm excited to to try something else you know um and to maybe get to some more answers for skylar so thank you again i really appreciate your time oh you're welcome and i just i wish your family a ton of luck and um just excited to see where your journey goes for Skylar. Thank you. Exciting. He's he's 18. (laughs) Oh, that sounds great. (laughs) All right. Take care. All right. Bye now. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the living the sky life podcast within Apple podcast, Spotify, and Google play. So you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.